The reading is from Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 1, and it breaks in the middle, and I'll tell you where we are then. We just ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. Luke chapter 9. Jesus sends out the twelve. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all the demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Now from verse 10. Jesus feeds the 5,000. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. Jesus replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, Well, we've only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. And there were about 5,000 men, not counting the ladies. But he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down. Taking the loaf, the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Helen. Hello again. Well, today is Vision Sunday. And Vision Sunday is simply an interlude uh, in our Adventures in Prayer theme, if you like. And it's an opportunity we've got once a year to receive encouragement and challenge for the church vision that God is inspiring. It's important, in fact it's crucial, to take stock, to take a look around, to see where God has led us so far, and to get an idea of where he's leading us next. Now, a couple of years ago, I went on an official trip as a member of something called the Liturgical Commission, and we went to Rome. 
We had a number of drinks receptions, actually. I've never been offered so many gin, gin, gin and tonics. And on one particular occasion, we were invited to the British Embassy, a marvellous place. Um, if you want to know where all your tax money goes, um, well, that's one of the places. I walked everywhere around Rome whilst we, th we were there, and I got to see so much of the city. And wearing smart shoes, you can imagine the state of my feet at the end of those five days. And one of the other members of the commission, Anders, a friend of mine, speaks fluent Italian. And with a keen interest in history, he knows a great deal about Rome. And so he made an excellent tour guide, the sort of person you want to go ro around Rome with. Anyway, as we walked up Aventine Hill off Circus Maximus, Anders suddenly stopped and told us to look through this particular keyhole of this particular door. Now, there was nobody around. And I thought we were going to be looking through uh, somebody's door. I didn't know what on earth to expect. But does anybody know where that keyhole is? No? No idea at all? Well, you all need to book yourselves a flight <laughs> and get over to Rome because the view through that keyhole is quite extraordinary. Everybody who looked through gasped. And you get an inkling through the keyhole, but that's the view. That's the view. Through the Knights of Malta keyhole. And this is what I want us to do today. My job is to lead us to the keyhole so that we can stop for a moment to catch a glimpse of the bigger picture. Sometimes, as a church community, it can feel like we're just climbing a very steep hill. We know this is the path that God is leading us on but it would be great to see where we are in relation to the vision, the big picture that God is revealing. And so today, we can pray, Lord, show us where you've brought us so far and where we are headed. And today, God wants to enthuse us and he wants to spur us on. Of course, we've got our vision framework. We talked a lot about that. And that helps us to see some of the big picture. Yeah. And we've also got our vision map and the priorities that we've uh, set ourselves in relation to how we've prayerfully discerned where God wants to take us. But both the framework and the vision map are God's servants, not his masters. And through them, God wants so much to grow us into the church that he longs for us to be at this time and this place. There is no doubt now that God is growing us into a mission-shaped church, a church that is alive with and sharing the power and the love of Jesus in today's world. The power and the love of Jesus in today's world. How this will pan out, we don't fully know. But God is at work in us and through us, setting our hearts on fire with love for him. And it's important that we go with the flow of this. And we relax into what God is doing. There is no greater thing in all the world than to let go and fall into the loving plans and purposes of God. There is no greater thing. And if you haven't found that out for yourself, then I encourage you to not stop searching until you find somebody who can help you to do that. Find somebody who can help you to fall into the loving plans that God has for you.
And so in the light of all this, what encouragement and what challenge is God providing from the passage from Luke's gospel story? As we stop, what will God show us through the keyhole? Well, firstly, God wants us to know, God says this, I am calling you together to receive power to be sent. God wants us to see that we will be a church that is called together in a variety of ways and places to receive power and to be sent to serve Jesus. Jesus called the disciples together to give them power to drive out demons, to cure illnesses and to preach the kingdom of God. Luke tells us in chapter 9 verse 1. When Jesus calls his church community together each week in a host of ways, he'll give us that same power so that we too can be sent to serve. But do we expect it? Do we even want to receive that power from Jesus? Is your experience of being called together, empowered and sent a distant memory? Or maybe you've never been encouraged or helped to experience it. Every one of the twelve was called together and they received power and then were sent by Jesus. So my question for myself today and for you is this. How are you responding to Jesus' call to come together to receive his power to be sent? The course mission-shaped intro that um, quite a number of us are on at the moment here at Christchurch is helping us to address this important part of following Jesus and it's a good job because I don't know about you but it's difficult and it's a weakness of God's church today it's a weakness we enjoy the coming together bit but we're not so keen on receiving power to be sent Luke said that the disciples preached and healed everywhere Everywhere is the word. So why is so much of our activity and ministry as Christians centered around the church community and building? What holds us back? Involvement in this isn't down to personal preference. How we each do it will be different, of course. But this is Jesus' plan for all his friends, every single one of us. And so responding to the call to come together to receive power to be sent is crucial. And it needs to be the focus of all our expressions of church. And something that as followers of Jesus, we eagerly desire. Secondly then, God says, I want you to travel light. This isn't always easy in England, is it? Travelling light. Because we have to pack for all weather and all eventualities. This summer, we went to Suffolk as a family for, for two weeks on the East Coast. And uh, the weather had been awful, hadn't it, in the summer. And so we packed the car until it was ready to burst with coats and Wellington boots and waterproofs and thick jumpers. And I'm sure the car was so weighed down that sparks must have been coming off the underside of the exhaust. But of course, when we got there, we had two weeks of unbroken sunshine, warm weather, we, we wore shorts and flip-flops and all those uh, other clothes just stayed, uh, you know, unused. Travelling light is always preferable. 
Jesus wants us to see that travelling light on his adventure is best. He encourages his friends to take nothing for the journey. Nothing, he said. Take nothing for the journey as they go to serve. And so as we continue on the adventure God is leading us into, what things do you need to lay down to be able to go and serve Jesus in whatever way he's calling you to? And what things do we need to lay down as a church to be freed up to travel light? Jesus wants us to be free to go and to press on into the amazing new things he has planned for us. So let's each of us ask God to help us lay down those things that hold us back. The things that weigh us down so much that all we can manage is a gentle stroll going round in circles instead of great strides into a new adventure. Thirdly, God says to us, I will feed and resource you. Jesus is reassuring us that he will feed us and he'll give us all that we need. When the disciples returned from their missionary travels, Jesus withdrew from them with them to a secluded town called Bethsaida. Now what does this say about church community? Well, it says much, I think, about the need to find space and time to be refueled and restored by God. It's no good just doing, doing, doing without finding time to be with Jesus, to be just yourself, to be who you are. We shouldn't expect any of us, myself included, to have to keep on doing and doing and doing without receiving from God. Luke tells us that having gone to a secluded spot, the crowds follow Jesus and the disciples, of course. And the twelve are concerned for the welfare of the crowd. Knowing they're hungry, Jesus' reaction is to tell the disciples, you feed them. But of course the disciples had forgotten that they had been given power to make a difference, to bring transformation and change for the better. In what ways have we forgotten that Jesus has given us power to make his love and care for the world known? And of course, five loaves and two fish, it doesn't seem very much to us or his disciples, does it? It certainly wouldn't normally stretch to feed well over 5,000 people. And when we look at our resources, do we see possibilities or limitations, potential or problems? God wants us to see that he will release all the resources needed to fulfill the work he's giving each of us and to fulfill the vision he's giving to Christchurch Baston Hill. In order for the 5,000 strong crowd to be fed, some kind soul gave all they had to Jesus to enable him to multiply it, to bless it, to use it. And so the question remains for each one of us, and I really would love it if you would think and pray about this. Do we have, do you have, the courage to give all you can for Jesus to bless and to use? And building on the previous point, do we have the faith to travel light, to let go of what 
we keep back for ourselves, trusting that God will provide in incredible, even miraculous ways along the way. For Kate and myself, we've discovered more and more over the years that when we give, God always blesses it, whatever it is, whether it's our time, our skills, our love, our money. And the more God has encouraged us to give, and believe me, sometimes it's felt almost impossible, impossible to give what we feel God is asking us to give. He has always, 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 without fail, provided the resources and the encouragement we need. Have you had that experience? God's promise is true. He will feed and resource us. At the moment, Christchurch is developing through the generosity and skills of a large core But for us to grow, truly grow, as a church, that needs to be everyone, not just a large core. This year, to the end of September, our giving, financially, was 83,000. And I want to thank you for that. Really thank you. But our giving target to the end of September was 117 thousand. Twenty thousand pounds down on last year and thirty thousand pounds down on what we need for this year already to the end of September. Now this could be sleepless nights time for me unless I trust and we all trust and have the courage to act. A few months ago I went to uh, a meeting of some of the vicars in the diocese and I got chatting to a lady who's a vicar in Brown Hills and I was really struck with her undying enthusiasm and commitment to that place and I, and I thought to myself what, what's giving her this vibrancy what's giving her this, this faith and excitement and she began to talk and I, and I listened to the place where she lives and it's an ex-coal mining area, and it's really struggling and has been struggling since the coal mines closed. And it's not the sort of place that most people would fancy living. And yet she's gone there. She's felt called to go there and to serve God. And she says, we've got uh, a church. And I said, well, how many people have you got in it? And she says, well, I've got about, I've got about 40 people. And uh, the average age of the congregation is in the high 70s. And I said, well, that, you know, that's, that's brilliant. You've got such a committed member, number of people. And she said, yeah, and they're amazing people. They're, they're, they're really wonderful and they're so dedicated. And she said, but we, we do, we, um, you know, things aren't always easy and we struggle. And we've got massive challenges to face for the mission of the church. And I said, well, haven't we all? And she said, absolutely. And, uh, and then we got chatting on to Parish Share. Somebody brought that into the conversation, another vicar. And so I said to her, well, what's your parish share? And she said, well, it's, it's just over £40,000 a year. And I did the maths and I thought, that's 40 people in the church, just over £40,000. That's about £1,000 a person. And I said, you don't pay that then, do you? you don't. She said, oh, yes, we do. We pay it year on year 
on you. And I said, do you have any big trust funds? Do you have any big givers? No, no, nothing. Just 40 people, average age, top 70s. And that really got me. It really challenged me. On behalf of our whole church community. And having looked at it, our average giving in Baston Hill, and I know not all of us can afford it, and we all understand that. A lot more of us can afford some more than others. But actually our giving, our average giving, is £550. And generally speaking, we can afford it a lot more than the people of Brown Hills. And I don't say that lightly. And I don't really want to say it. But I do feel that this issue of money has been ignored for far too long in our church here. We danced around the issue. And God doesn't want that anymore. God is at work through us and in us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so, of course, he will release the resources we need. But God wants to partner with the resources that we have. Jesus didn't pluck food from thin air. He used the gracious gift of somebody who who gave all they had to give. And he used that. And he partnered with that incredible gift. And so for us, are we to think, oh dear, we've only got £83,000. What on earth are we going to do? No. This story gives us a challenge to, to give all that we have to give in order for Jesus to use that and to bless it. Whoever had those loaves and fish could have kept them back for themselves, could have kept them back for their own family, but they didn't. And look what happened. Well over 5,000 people were fed. And if you give, and if I give what I can give to Jesus, what can happen in Baston Hill and beyond? Just imagine it. It will be quite extraordinary. You think about the number of people who will be fed with the food that only Jesus can provide. I want us to do all that we can to make that a possibility. And if you don't like us talking about money, then you need to get on your knees and pray that God does with us as a church community what he needs to do so that we don't need to talk about it anymore. So if that was the third thing, then the fourth thing, fourth thing that God wants to tell us is this. I'm giving you glimpses of a bigger picture. At the Litchfield Diocese uh, Renewal Conference a few weeks ago, the main speaker, Frog or Ewing, yes, that's his real name, challenged the church to pray for the gift of prophecy. And he challenged the church simply for this reason, because prophecy is imagining a future that God is inspiring. I firmly believe that many people and churches are trapped through a lack of imagination, unable to see the possibilities that Jesus is presenting and seeing and only dealing with the difficulties of the here and now. God is giving us glimpses of plans and purposes to help us picture the church that he is constructing and the plans he has for each of us. And it's giving us an idea of what we'll look like in the future. Frog challenged the church 
to see that if we're not praying for the gift of prophecy, the ability to imagine the future that God is inspiring, then we're robbing the church of the strength and the encouragement that we need, or some of it. I want you to imagine that the church is Miss Havisham, the ageing lady from Charles Dickens' Great Expectations. There we are, sat in our ruined mansion, with nothing but memories of happier days, good times long ago, a former life which is now difficult to let go of. But of course it's the only home we know. We're so focused on the ruins and the memories and the life that was that we can't imagine the possibilities. A house rising from the ruins that offers a home of new life. That may be some churches, unfortunately, but that is not going to be us. God is giving us the gift of prophecy and will increase this in us. He will give us the imagination to picture the new house he's constructing. And from the glimpses he's giving us, what might that look like practically? Well, I want to uh, just show you something that we've shared on Mission Shaped Intro, the course. Uh, we've begun to explore this together. And uh, as a PCC, we've, we've been discussing this and seeing practically uh, what we'll look like uh, in the coming months and, and years. And so I've got a diagram simply to show you and a picture. Some of us understand diagrams better. Some of us work with pictures better. And uh, so uh, just to illustrate this point, the diagram means everything to Steve and nothing to me. And the picture means everything to me and nothing to Steve. Okay? So you're with us. That's why we get on so well. <laughs> so here we are. So you can see this is Christchurch Basin Hill, and we're going to have expressions of church. They will be established and they will be fresh. So they will be the ones we know of, the ones that are uh, tried and tested, have stood the test of time, like the one you're in now, nine o'clock on a Sunday. Okay? But there'll also be fresh ones, like the question mark on the end. We don't know what expressions of church God is going to inspire. We've got messy church. We might have movie church or coffee and cake church. And we have Outlook and Tiddlywinks and, and late community or whatever that's becoming. And so there's lots of expressions of church there. And there'll be an increasing number of expressions. And they're all church communities of equal value. All different, but embodying the Christ Church Basin Hill values. And so... We're not expecting any of those uh, church communities to have to grow up into another. So, for example, if you come to Coffee and Cake Church, that needs to be a church that disciples people, that is a sacramental community, so um, leads people on in their faith, gathers around the Lord's table, baptizes, all of, all of those sorts of things. But we don't expect that to have to bridge to another expression of church. But there might be common people who are members of, of, of several, for example. So like, I'm a member of Messy Church, just as I'm a member of 9 o'clock and 10.30. And there are, that's true of others of us here, isn't it? But all of these expressions are held within the accountability structures of Christ Church and the Church of England. So, for example, the vicar and the PCC and the bishop. 
And if you look at the next picture, this is describing the same thing, but in a different way. So we've got, you imagine all of those fruits are different expressions of church. And they're, they're producing fruit for God. And they're expressions or communities of church of equal value. And they share Christ church based in hill values. And then drawing up through the roots are all sorts of, of good things that pr- produce this fruit. It's accountability, the resources that are needed, the training and the support. So that's just giving us a glimpse practically. But in and through the practical structures, God is showing us that he is calling us together to receive power and to be sent, to travel light, to courageously trust that he will feed and resource us and to imagine the church that he's constructing. I want to challenge us and encourage us today to commit to continuing in in these things and God will lead us on growing us as a mission-shaped church. And this is my prayer. It's my daily prayer. A church that is alive with and sharing the power and love of Jesus in today's world. I hope that's your prayer too. Amen.